0: Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 26 this morning. Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 26. Now remind you, we've been talking about the Apostles' Creed for the last Eight weeks, I believe, we've talked about God being a creator, a father, the lordship of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the suffering of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, Stephen discussed the ascension. This week, we're going to discuss the line on the return of Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead. If I had to pick one line in the Apostles' Creed that is mentioned most seldomly, thought about most seldomly, it would be this one, the return of Jesus Christ. So let us pick up in Hebrews chapter 9, and let's take this great truth we profess and apply it to our life. So let us pray, and we'll read. Almighty God, you have spoken to us. And the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things you have revealed They are ours to be treasured, to be prized, to be passed down to our children and our children's children. So would we this morning prize your precious word? Would we guard it? Would we store it? Would we admire it? Would we treasure it? So we ask your spirit to be with us. Help us to receive these words and apply them. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're actually going to pick up on the second half of verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. So we open the book of Hebrews. We find a people... Plagued by problems. Some have been persecuted and imprisoned and plundered. Others have apostatized and returned to the Jewish temple. And you know what that means for the rest of them? They're discouraged. They're ready to give up. Much like Asaph in Psalm 73, they're ready to wash their hands with this business. Or, to use an expression found in Hebrews, they're tempted to not finish the race. All of us in here start well in life, but pain and suffering are a real hindrance. Like one who runs a marathon, halfway through the race our side starts to hurt we begin to get tired and we begin to ask, why in the world did I start running to begin with? In the Christian life, we find ourselves knocked off course by sudden tragedy, by pain and loss. Other times, the very wear and tear of the Christian life plagues us with setbacks, with failures, and with disappointments. It is hard to finish well. But let me state a simple fact, by all these negative things that I just mentioned, and as we look in our very passage, there is one word that governs the entire passage. It is appointed. The things that we deal with in life are not by chance, but they are by divine appointment. If death is appointed, so are all of these little things in life. So, the question for us is simple. How are we going to persevere? How are we going to finish well in the path appointed for us? Throughout this book of Hebrews, there's one refrain Consider Jesus. He considers his glory, his humanity, his priesthood, his sacrifice. But this morning, we're going to consider one that is most important, one that is most pressing. We are going to consider Christ's return. as de- Certainly, as death is appointed for us, so too is Christ's return appointed. So what does our passage teach us about Jesus Christ? One, it teaches us that Jesus Christ came first to die for sin. He says that he appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let me speak very plainly for a moment about death. Death is an appointment we cannot reschedule, we cannot miss our forefathers in the faith used to plan their life around their death because that's a pretty fixed point in our life. We, however, have pushed death as far as possible from our minds. Even in a friendly discussion I've had recently, funerals are now celebrations of life. We do not want the stigma of death attached. But this misses something very important. Death is a penalty. Death is a penalty. Think about the word penalty. What's the root word? Penal is a legal punishment. And this legal punishment has two parts. Temporal death and eternal judgment. Or Revelations 20, we'll call it a first death and a second death. Death is a penalty. It's a legal punishment. That is why it is appointed for men to die. We remember in Genesis 2, God tells Adam, The day you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of tree of the tree of good and evil, dying you shall die or you shall surely die. When Adam swallowed down the forbidden fruit, all of mankind swallowed down death. This is why Paul will say things like this. Just as sin came into the world by one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Well, speak very practically. Every sorrow, every sore back, every ache, every pain, every bottle of ibuprofen reminds us that we have an appointed day. Pain is a courtesy call reminding us that we have a divine appointment. Death was appointed For man is a penalty for sin. Death was appointed to Christ as an offering for sin. The crux of the book of Hebrews is a great sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. When we read the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial system. And I want you to think of the days when you used to go to the movies. And if you got there 15 minutes early, what did they do? They played the same advertisements on repeat until the movie began. For centuries, these sacrifices served as the advertisement to tide us over until the true and perfect sacrifice came. For the blood of of, of bulls and goats could not take away the penalty for a man's sin. They were the mere grace period until the debt was paid by Jesus Christ. Jesus has been appointed, the only one appointed, to take away the penalty of death. Christ has borne both parts, temporal death and eternal judgment, first death and second death. As to him, how deep the Father's love for us says, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Christ came Christ bore, Christ died. But Christ's life follows our life. It's appointed once for a man to die, and then judgment. Christ died for sin. Christ comes again to judge sin. Christ will come again to judge sin. We see that Christ will appear visibly. Christ does not return in some quasi-spiritual fashion. He does not judge behind closed doors in an executive session. Christ will appear visibly to judge. The sky will be torn apart like a scroll. The sun, moon, and stars will flee for fear. The earth itself will heave in distress. As the mountains are lowered and the valleys are filled. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And he will repay to each man what he has done. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. His judgment is just, and no mocking voice will be heard on that day. He will come visibly. He will come visibly to judge all. As all men are encompassed in Adam's sin, so all men will be encompassed in Christ's judgment. For the nations will be his heritage, and the ends of the earth his possession, He will break them with a rod of iron and dash them as a potter's vessel. No one will escape his great white throne. The thoughts and intentions of a man's heart will be laid bare. And every scripture, every sermon, every godly exhortation, even our own consciences will rise up as a witness on that day. But for the godly, for those who wait upon him, they will be saved through judgment. Salvation has two sides those who look to the Lord are saved, everyone else is judged. We forget salvation is a term winners use. When Israel went through the Red Sea, they were saved through the red sea did it work like that for pharaoh the waters of salvation for israel became waters of judgment for pharaoh and that is a paradigm we see in scripture we are either judged in christ crucified with him or we are judged by christ we are either saved from the wrath to come by Jesus, or Jesus comes to us in wrath. Jesus has come once and for all as an offering for sin. But as Hebrews says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. There remains only judgment. A judgment that is unavoidable. No man can escape what is appointed. A judgment that is unchangeable. For he is unchangeable. Who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. And it's a judgment that is unending. As salvation is everlasting joy, So punishment is everlasting torment. In the book of Revelation, he says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, they will be tormented day and night forever. That is what we will expect on that great day. Salvation for those who look to him, judgment for those who do not. Now many may ask me, Zach, when is that great day? I can remember seeing pamphlets that said, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. And then next year they had 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. That day has been sealed in the divine decree. That appointment has been hidden in God's calendar. He does not tell us the day, but he does tell us that it is soon. So what shall we do? What does God require of us? Let me give you three things. We'll refer to them as our PEP talk. P E P. One, plan. Plan accordingly. We say there's nothing more certain than death and taxes. That's a lie. There is nothing more certain than Christ's return. We live in a day and age where we live only for the present. We are a people that have forgotten our beginning, and we have forgotten our end. We see that everywhere, do we not? The sex and drug culture of our day worries not about tomorrow. They only are concerned with today. We live in a day and age that wants to tear down every statue. They want to remove the past, and in doing so, remove the future. This is not Christian. This is an idea of Eastern philosophy. There is more to us than the present. We must keep in mind the beginning and the end. This present worldliness is everywhere. I see it so often in my generation and younger. They lack two very important things. Ambition and a work ethic. Why? They're only concerned for the present. We see it in the myth of retirement that says we have no priorities, no plan, and no purpose. We're only concerned about the present. Even in our churches, our emphasis On missions, on prayer, and on discipleship, fall to the wayside because no one plans for Christ's imminent return. Woe to us if Christ returns to full bank accounts and empty schedules. Woe to us if we rust out instead of burn out. So let me ask three questions to gauge our planning for Christ's return. Are you reconciled to God before Christ returns? Have you repented of your sin, confessed faith in Him, been united to His people? Two. Do you need to reconcile with someone else? Three, what are you going to do until Christ returns? Have you reconciled with God? Have you reconciled with others? Have you reconciled with your calendar? C.S. Lewis says, For what comes is judgment. Happy are those whom it finds laboring in their vocations, whether they're merely going to feed the pigs or laying good plans to deliver humanity from some great evil. The curtain has fallen. Those pigs will never be fed. The great campaign against slavery and tyranny will never proceed to victory. It does not matter. You were at your post when the inspection came. What will Christ find you doing when he returns? What will Christ find us as Bethesda Presbyterian? What will he find us doing when he returns? So, plan accordingly. Exercise your faith. Tom Petty once sang, Waiting is the hardest part. God has appointed a trial of faith for us in Christ, as He appointed a trial of obedience in Adam. Waiting is a trial, and therefore, Christ strengthens us in our pilgrimage. The book of Hebrews points to three ways. God's word, God's worship, and God's people. Now you might say, if Jesus is coming soon, why do I need these things? But need I remind you that Israel sinned on the border of the promised land. They dropped the ball at the one yard line. We're at the one yard line. It's not time to drop the ball. I heard this morning from two of us who stopped to get gas this morning. Odds are you probably could have made it. But we stopped anyway, just in case. As we are expecting Christ's return, we continue to exercise our faith. The book of Hebrews says it best. Take care, brothers, lest there be any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. ruh So what should we do? Exhort one another day after day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Just to be frank, God does not command us to worship. God does not command us to pray. God does not command us to take communion and to be baptized. God does not command all these different things for laughs and giggles. He gives them to us for our good. Our salvation is too great to neglect these things. So I want you to plan, I want you to exercise, I want you to persevere. Our text reminds us that we're at the end of the age. Our good friend Wayne Herring likes to say that we're in the SEC, we're down by six and there's only two minutes left to play. That is our circumstance, but we're gonna win. And I look at us, I look at me, and there's many times our only prayer is, Lord, please come. The book of Hebrews wonders how much longer can they hold on, but our text tells us Jesus is coming soon. Persevere to the seven churches of Revelation twice, not once, but twice Jesus says, I am coming soon. Persevere. In the return of the king, everyone realizes Frodo is about to destroy the ring of power. And so a few loyal men assault the black gate of Mordor. A few men versus an entire army because a new victory was near. They fought that battle on a hunch. We fight on a certainty. Christ's return has been appointed. Today, we charge the gates of hell and we persevere because we believe in Christ's return. We stand against devils without and discouragements within. We persevere Because we believe in Christ's return. We do not profess these truths with our mouths and deny them with our works. We persevere because we believe in Christ's return. So I close with a return to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, Women sometimes have the problem of trying to judge by artificial light how a dress will look by daylight. That is very much like the problem of us all. To dress our souls not for the electric lights of the present world, but for the daylight of the next. The good dress is the one That will face that light. For that light. Will last longer. We believe the morning star has risen. That full noon will soon be here. That Christ will return. That when he returns. He will take us to a marriage feast. Will we have on our wedding garments. Will our souls be dressed for the occasion? I pray to the good Lord, I never have to preach another sermon because Christ has returned. Will we be ready? Be reconciled to God, be reconciled to one another, be reconciled in your priorities, be reconciled in light. Of Christ return. Soon, very soon, Christ will return to save those who look to him, that we may look to him forever. But will, what will Christ see when he returns and looks at you? Let us pray. <clears throat> Almighty God, we thank you for the infinite blessings found in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would would fan into flame the great expectation that for our achy, longing hearts, we may look forward to the day when we will love you with an unsinning heart. Persevere us for that day. Preserve us for that day. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.